Nerd on the Street, where three black women talk about nerdy interests, geeky pursuits, and current events that intersect and affect our lives. We are Jana, Jillian, and Lily. If you like our show, please rate us on Apple, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. This helps with our discoverability and encourages us to keep bringing you more like content. As always, enjoy the show. Hey there, it's Blurred on the Street, and we are back with a brand new episode for your ear holes. And we're just going to get straight in to our headlines for this episode. And mine, Jenna, is to congratulate Katanji Brown Jackson for being appointed to the Supreme Court. She is the first Black female to be appointed, and we are very proud as Black women ourselves. And also, we hope that this will mean that we're not just getting a seat at the table, but that we're going to get some real justice and some real help for um, Black and brown people. Yeah, it it would absolutely be nice if that happened. I just don't like the pony show that was the confirmation hearings because they weren't asking her questions that were things that, you know, she could really answer. I mean, it's not, as a Supreme Court judge, it's not really about your opinion about random things. Like uh, the Ibram X. Kendi uh, children's book. I mean, it's up to her to interpret the Constitution and the law of the land and then rule on that. So, like, those things were not... I mean, maybe if they had framed the questions in a more, like, intelligent manner, um, then, you know, instead of just saying, you need to comment on this book, like, maybe comment on the state of something or like this is a uh, uh potential um a potential judgment that you have to make you know how would you go through the process of making a judgment of that but it seemed like they just wanted to like get some like gifable moments for twitter and you know so people are talking about them and you know cause a whole stir on uh in America and I just thought that was just so uh, unprofessional and rude and a waste of everyone's time especially hers yeah Yeah. I don't I didn't I I only saw some of the confirmation hearings because quite honestly I felt that it was really just a show of how racist our you know the people are who were there asking her the questions it showed how America feels really about black women, um, not just black people in general, but black women. And um, quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that happened to her has happened to me too, obviously not on the level of being at a confirmation hearing for Supreme Court justice, but just questions and the um, microaggressions that were shown to her. Mm. That is something that Black women go through every single day in this society, 
like Jillian said, there were a lot of gifable moments um, and sound bites and and quotes that happened because of these hearings that ended up on Twitter and other social media, which um, really elided some of those microaggressions that happen to black women. And we're not allowed to get upset. We're not allowed to raise our voices. We're not allowed to show emotion of any kind when we are constantly bombarded by racialized and misogynistic comments. Um, and then and then even those like calm and and stoic responses are still um, deconstructed and into how emotional we are, how much we want something by what we show. And it's like, well, you have to choose one or the other. Are we allowed to actually show emotion or do we have to sit there being calm while people say blatantly racist stuff to our face? If we show emotion or, or show any anger or annoyance with microaggression shown toward us, then we're just angry black women um, getting mad at white people and not all white people and all that kind of stuff right. comes comes about. Like even in that, um, the, there's a lot that is taken away from her during all these moments that happened um, for the confirmation hearings, like she, there was a, a lot of times when she wasn't centered at all as a person, as her record, her, the things that she has voted on, the statements that she has made, um, political thing, other things that she's been involved in. None of that was actually centered that is important or is what we should find important for a Supreme right. Court judge. This lifetime appointee. Right. I need right. to know this stuff. Yeah. Right. But exactly. I also like it's weird because I don't, I mean, I guess I get an indirect say in the appointee by voting for legislators who then in turn make the appointments, but um yeah, it feels like I don't really, I mean, I can learn these things and I don't always get a, like, a real say. Right. Us so as, like, as a people, like, mm -hmm. they use the word democracy, but we are actually very far removed from some of these um, appointments that that affect us for generations. Moving on to a headline that I found, me, Lily, here in Philadelphia, we have a magnet school high school named Central High, uh, which is um, a historic and storied high school in the city. And they historically, they call their uh, principals presidents. Um, as opposed to principles. So that, that this is why I'll be using this word later. Yeah, so Central High 
has has um, brought in its very first black and first female leader in the school's history. Which, I, I mean, Central was founded in 1836, and it's the second oldest high school in the United States. So that's where we're at, that a black woman can't be president of this school for centuries. 20. But congratulations to her. First. I mean, I do think that is that is an accomplishment um, and an achievement right. that we shouldn't take away from her, whatever we discuss mm -hmm. about our feelings on her being the first uh, black and first female. Yeah, yeah, I say I'm tired of first because it's like, it's always the first. It is. It's, it's never the just the next. I'm ready for it to be the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when there can be like multiple ones. So when yeah. you say, oh, the black president at Central, people say which one instead of, oh, yeah, yeah, because you automatically yeah. know which one you're talking right. about. The only one. Right. Yeah. No more only. Congratulations to these two women, but yeah. also WTF on them being the first in 2022. Right. Mm -hmm. Hey, y'all. The three of us have been talking for a while about starting an official blurred book club. And while we haven't gotten there yet, we did decide that we would lead a discussion about a book that we've all read for this episode. It's called The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gold. It was published in August 2021 by Wednesday Books. It's available in hardcover, but you should also check and see if it's at your local library. I know we do we did have it here in Philadelphia. So if you are unable to actually purchase the book, you can probably take it out from your local library. As Jenna mentioned, we are reviewing The Dead and the Dark by Courtney Gould this episode and i will give the synopsis so states something is wrong in snakebite oregon teenagers are disappearing some turning up dead the weather isn't normal and all fingers seem to point to tv's most popular ghost hunters who have just returned to town logan ortiz woodley daughter of TV's Paraspectors has never been to Snakebite before, but the moment she and her dads arrive, she starts to get the feeling that there's more secrets buried here than they originally let on. Ashley Barton's boyfriend was the first teen to go missing, and she's felt his presence ever since. But now that the Ortiz Woodleys are in town, his ghost is following her, and the only person Ashley can trust is the mysterious Logan. When Ashley and Logan team up to figure out who or what is haunting Snakebite, their investigation reveals truths about the town, their families, and themselves that neither of them are ready for. As the danger intensifies, they realize that their growing feelings for each other could be a light in the darkness.
And then I also wanted to preface this, um, our discussion um, by reading the author's note. So just as a warning to our listeners and uh, people who potentially want to read the book, the author's note says some of the thematic material in The Dead in the Dark involves child death and endangerment, violence, including strangulation and drowning, homophobia and homophobic slurs. So for um, more detailed description of the sensitive contact content, you can visit the author's web uh, page at Gold Books, that's G-O-U-L-D-B-O-O-K-S dot com. That's awesome. I actually really like that she has that um, information available. Like I know yeah. a lot of people be like, spoilers, spoilers. But um, hey, if there's something that's really going to traumatize me I want to yeah. know ahead of time before I start reading the book and then I can make my own decision right. right exactly awesome well so what we're going to be discussing is basically we're just going to kind of give our own like mini opinion generally of how we like the book um and then we each have a couple like specific points that we wanted to be able to make um, and then have a little discussion about that. Well, my sort of overall maybe or intro thoughts on um, it's a really atmospheric book and I like that a lot. Um, it stays accessible to the younger audience that it should be aimed at because it's a YA novel. Um, and I, th I think that's, I think that's important to consider when you're a grown up reading YA, because a lot of people will make critical comments about the language um, or, or the pacing or other things that, are clearly very specifically um, uh, arranged and orchestrated in a way that makes it accessible to teenagers. And when you're writing a book that is for a 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 year old, they're absolutely gonna need a different kind of uh, setup than someone who is 36. I think there's a lot of interiority in the narrative and I like how we get to spend a lot of time in Logan's thoughts. Um, there's a lot of characterization, Logan and Ashley, um, and even uh, Logan's dad's and Ashley's mom. Like there's, there's all just a really good amount of characterization that is built throughout the novel with, um, with these people. And we get to spend um, time with them and seeing them as personalities instead of just being told, hey, this is what they're like. Um, so it felt like it felt like me as the reader, I really got to experience the plot and the character arcs. I wasn't just reading them. Um. I agree with you, Lily, about being accessible. I thought that that was one of the high points of this book was its accessibility to um, teens, but also that it wasn't dumbed down. 
like sometimes you can get books where they're trying to be accessible to teens, but they dumb it down in a sense like, oh, well, I have to put it on this level or teens won't understand. And um, I think this book was written very well. She did a very good job of making it so that it was accessible to younger teens, but also was still accessible to older teens in the sense that it wasn't like assuming they wouldn't understand, I guess, adult language or or things that adults do. Right. Like we we shouldn't underestimate the maturity of um, YA readers who are actually YA. And I don't think we should necessarily make assumptions about um, certain subjects that they are ready for. Right, exactly. Jillian? Yeah, I agree about the accessibility. It's like, it, um, I don't want to say it was an easy book to get through, but like it was very like, um, I mean, it was it was easy to get through. <laughs> it wasn't like overly complicated. Like I understood what she was trying, the author was trying to do. And um, it wasn't like there were complicated feelings, but it wasn't overly complicated to understand is what I'm trying to say. Right. Not that she's like bad writer and like it's just like <laughs> hop on pop. One fish, one fish, red fish. <laughs> but it, it also didn't like try to Dawson's Creek or Gossip Girl teenagers, right? Yeah, Where... I, just, I hate that. Yeah. They like um, try to like do a whole swirl of feelings. But you know why they do that is to get people to keep watching. Right. Whereas like a book, you know, it, I mean, I believe this one is a standalone. Like you can get through a book and you're, you know, you're done. Right. As opposed to a TV show that's like, you know, people could be committed to multiple seasons and then producers want to get as much money out of things. And right. uh, that's why I love right. British British miniseries. It's like, this is what it is and it's done. Yes. Exactly. Right. You don't get any more. If, if two people watch this show, we did our job. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like, that's, uh, I think that was the, the point um, that you don't have to like, try to um, trick your reader um, into continuing reading. It's just, this is what it is. Uh, and it also, I also like, the, even though it is a, like a sci-fi paranormal thriller, it was uh, also realistic. Yeah, so I very... thought it was, yeah, very like easy to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the character. Like you're a person in snake bite. This is like a small town that is, I want to say it's accessible because of the warnings at the top. There were some things that make it not accessible for every person. But, you know, as black women, we, we kind of we know that. Yeah, it was it was very like grounded in like contemporary life, even though there were yeah. paranormal aspects yeah. to it. Yeah, I agree. And I also thought that. Um, I'm not really sure where Courtney Gold grew up, um, but she characterized small town life very well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that um, having that characterization between what it's like, not just living in small town life um, as 
an outsider, so to speak, or someone who, you know, in this case, the father, when the fathers are, are gay, obviously, because it's fathers, but, um, well, but bi. well, that's true. That's true. Um, they're, they're queer. Let's go with that so that we're not miscategorizing anyone. They're queer. Um, but, uh, so, you know, obviously there's some kind of living on the outside sense here and they, she really does a great job of kind of characterizing what it is like. Um, but also just in general, how different small town life can be from even urban or suburban life. Yeah. I made a note of a couple of different relationships that I really liked how they were explored in here. And one of them was the relationship that Ashley has with the town. So Ashley is, you know, the good girl, rich parents, well-known, um, influential sort of situation. Um, and a lot of times people put put in these, these mean girl type characters um, and they're cardboard or wooden. You know, they don't have anything going for them except for the fact that you can say, oh, that's the mean girl type character. But Ashley is is different. She's way different. And she she actually has a lot of different faces. And I thought that was really interesting that the author put that in um, how um, she's one way with these people, one way with this person, one way here. And she's always um, aware of who she is in this town and what that is expected of her. Yeah, I, I definitely... Um... So you talk about Ashley and her relationship with the town and I kind of wanted to point out like Ashley and her relationship with who she calls her friends because you definitely even from the beginning can kind of see some cracks in the relationship that she has with who she calls her best friends and how she definitely uh, can disagree with things that they do and say, even though she still considers them her friends. And I thought that that was very realistic in the sense that um, no matter what kind of relationship we have, even if we are best friends, love each other, known each other for years, there it's not realistic if the relationship is perfect because no relationship is perfect. Right. We're going to disagree on something. And um, I liked that they did show that um, while she would sometimes go along with things that her friends did, she definitely had her own voice and had her own thoughts about um, things that she would disagree with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my... I actually kind of went into the book thinking like, oh, she'll be like the typical girl next door because, you know, it's basically her town. Like her parents kind of like 
have a lot of stock in the town, as it were, but she turns out totally different. Like, the minute she, like, starts bringing in, like, her, her, uh, her raff or, like, to-go mug of, like, hibiscus tea, I was like, oh, <laughs> she's kind of, she, she's not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, plus there's the fact that, um, people have like like she is suffering this this loss you know and she's still in her grief over this so her kind of being like perfect and and all put together wouldn't even make sense to me so i i like that she felt real yeah I also want to say that in general, I liked how the author characterized relationships between teens here, because a lot of the times, especially when, uh, <clears throat> you know, I uh, listen to a lot of true crime and um, when teens go missing, a lot of the times you don't hear about their relationship, like the missing teen and how it affects the other teens in that person's life you hear about how the parents are affected how the you know the grandparents are affected the even sometimes the siblings but you don't often hear about how like a boyfriend or a best friend or a girlfriend or whatever is affected um when someone goes missing and i, I really did like how they showed um that Ashley really did have a very deep relationship with the missing one of the missing teens and how it like you said how she was going through her grief and had to deal with her grief yeah and and it also shows um kind of the the stickiness that can happen between teen relationships where there oftentimes is like a person who kind of is the glue for the the web of of relationships of everyone else and if that person isn't there how everything has to reorient itself and sometimes it doesn't go well right and and sometimes you can you can see how once this person is not part of the picture how different um, the actual relationships between the other people are. I also really uh, was interested in the relationship that Gould painted between um, Logan and her dads. And a lot of times um, parents can be treated as one unit, right? It's like the parents, or if if it's a single parent, then one parent is completely out of the picture, like not not at all part of the story. Um, but in here, there's a real separation between the relationship relationship that Logan has with each of her dads. and and you get to see as a reader also the the relationship that used to exist between her and her dads and how um, it's really different now. And there was sort of a um, 
a pinch point that that changed everything. Yeah, um, you know, we're not going to get into spoilers here, but there is a definitive um, kind of connection between Logan and one of her fathers and then this kind of gulf between her and her other father um, that is explored and that kind of gets into the plot points of where the this gulf came from and what caused Alejo, which is one of Logan's fathers, um, and his sort of relationship with ghosts, so to speak, or people who have departed. Um, and I actually would have liked to have a little more background on that. You know, he did say, I believe he said that his... Uh, his mom, who would have been Logan's grandmother, also had the gift of being able to see ghosts and communicate with them. I would have liked to see a little bit more about how that came into play. Like, did, was that something that he learned about as a kid? Did his grandmother tell him early on that she could see ghosts? Or was it something that wasn't really taught to him until after he was able to start to see ghosts? It would have been a little to to kind of see that cultural relationship between or if there wasn't any cultural relationship at all, just, well, we can see ghosts, you know, like. Right. I, I, I like would. Part of, that's 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 us. That's this right. family. We see ghosts. I kind of like that because it, it like it is what it is. Just kind of mm-hmm. like there wasn't really any world building because the world is already what we know it. No. Um. Because it's so contemporary and so, like, bare, like, you could just be in there. They don't, I guess, didn't really explain it because that that was my impression of why the author didn't explain it. Because there's really not much, like, world building to do besides, like, you know, we live in this contemporary world that is, like, very, you know, 2022 or whatever, whatever, um, like, now in this moment. And, you know, there's so many different, like, stories that you don't know in general just existing in the world like i don't know like let's say like my neighbor's whole background like it just is what it is Mm -hmm. if does that make sense yeah yeah it absolutely does um okay i i thought it was um i really like there was a a part when um logan was talking to i i believe it was alejo um and she asks him about the show because obviously like these these ghost hunter shows have an element of like scriptedness to them but also like drama that like probably doesn't exist when you're just like walking through an old house um in the dark with a camera you know and they really know how to play that up clearly because of the the audience that they have and have grown for paraspectors um but he he says that like you know we every time we've connected with a poltergeist that has been real it's just the setup and the way we like dramatize everything around it that is you know maybe a little less genuine and I thought that was interesting. Like, hey, if you can see ghosts, then why not, like, 
go ahead and get famous off of being a ghost hunter. Right, yeah. It's like you you have to put on a show in order to get people to, like, keep watching. Right. Um, But, but like... Also, there's like a lot of a lot of paranormal shows where like a a normal, so to speak, like human stumbles into this other world and then they're like so afraid and they're whatever. If if I found out that I could see ghosts, I'd immediately set up a Twitch channel and be like, y'all, guess what? I can see ghosts. I'm going to commune with this ghost and you get to watch it live. Yeah, live readings on TikTok. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I'm going to get a bag from that. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to be afraid. I'm not going to ignore the ghost. I'm going to be like, okay, who's next? <laughs> yeah, set up my LLC. Let's get paid. Let's get paid. No, I I agree. I, I do. <laughs> I I like the fact that um, they were like, oh yeah, it's all real, but it's not real in a sense, right. you know. Right. It's all real, <laughs> but it's all fake too. I really like the in between chapters, um, or like at the start of some of them too. They do like little snippets of like little script snippets of or uh, transcriptions I guess is better of the show and then there's a couple of times where Logan like watching the show <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I liked those moments yeah there's there's actually like that's sort of their the book's version of flashbacks yeah but it was yeah. kind of a, a unique interesting way to do that yeah for sure <laughs> We kind of didn't want to um, reveal too much of the apex of the plot and um, the ending. Um, It's not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say we're doing spoiler free, but we are, we're not going to talk about how the book ends because we don't want to uh, ruin that since we are also recommending this, I guess. Um, so you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and ask what's what's everybody's uh recommendation? Well, I would definitely recommend it. I think it was a very good read. And actually, I'll preface this by saying I actually listened to the audiobook. The narrator is fantastic, and um, I definitely want to recommend that, but I also think having the book, the uh, hardcover book or a hard copy of the book as a companion wouldn't be a bad idea either. I would give this four stars, maybe even four and a half if we're going to do some kind of rating system. Um, And uh, I would definitely recommend it. Out of five? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would recommend this book, too. I read it fairly quickly, I think, over, like, the span of maybe two or three days. Got it from my local library. And so I would definitely recommend it. I would give it a four out of five. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but I did really enjoy it. As, actually, Jenna brought this up, I initially listened to the audiobook on on my own. The audiobook I would give four and a half stars. Um, the 
then when we decided we were going to do this, I reread it um, and I got out the print book and I would give the print book four stars. Um, and the reason why there's a difference for me is that the narrator actually does a lot to add to the moon and the tone of the book and to bring out and bring to life the characters in a way that wasn't always present in um, the print book. So I would say if you are an audiobook listener, then definitely check out the audiobook. Um, if you are only a print or ebook reader, still worth it to uh, read it that way. Um, but I recommend the audiobook slightly more than I do the, the print version. If you liked Haunting a Blind Manor, Riverdale, Veronica Mars for the sort of investigative um, aspect of it. And then there's this show on Sci-Fi, uh, Sci-Fi the channel, um, S-Y-F-Y, Sci-Fi, um, called Surreal Estate that I kind of just found when I was like trying to find something to watch. And it stars Tim Rosin and um, Sarah, I think it's her first name, Sarah Levy or Sarah Levi. Um, both of them are alums of Schitt's Creek. Yeah, as soon both as you said Levy, I was like, is it Eugene Levy's child? <laughs> both of them are alums of Schitt's Creek and, and they are both in this show and it is basically about like a a real estate company that um sells houses that are deemed unsellable and it is because one of them can make contact with like ghosts and poltergeists and demons and other kinds of stuff that may be haunting the house and then you know, exercise them, so to speak. So they too have uh, put their talent to work earning them money. I would definitely say if you like them, um, the dead in the dark might be your jam. And if you have already read the dead in the dark, then one of those shows might be your jam. If you haven't seen the shows goes both ways. My uh, recommendation is actually more if you've already read The Dead in the Dark, um, you might like to read White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. I will say that um, I did not like White Smoke as much as The Dead in the Dark, but it's very similar kind of... Um, tone in the sense of that you it's it's kind of stuff that could be explained as being paranormal happening in a town that has a lot of secrets and things that are being hidden her writing is a little bit better in the story she wrote for an anthology called blackout and the story is called the long walk blackout's an anthology that has five other authors and they're all women of color who wrote 
in uh, who contributed to it. And so I would recommend both Blackout and White Smoke. White Smoke being one that has a more of a similar vibe to The Dead in the Dark, but Blackout being um, just a general recommendation um, in terms of really, really good writing. Jillian, do you have uh, something you want to add? Yeah, so my recommendation doesn't uh, isn't tied to the dead in the dark. It's more tied to our earlier discussion in our headlines, um, and it is a book that I'm currently listening to. It is called Black Fatigue, How Racism Erodes the Mind, Body, and Spirit, and it is written by Mary Frances Winters, um, and she kind of explores black fatigue and how system uh, systemic racism kind of affects physical and psychological health of black people and she has several anecdotes that really spoke to me about you know how she you know made presentations at work for you know certain things um and how she was almost fired because the people didn't believe her presentation even though she had data points and other research that she had done to contribute to the presentation, you know, before she presented it to these like C-suite individuals, like all white guys, um, but they like didn't believe her. And I, that's something I think a lot of black women can relate to um, how, you know, we could say all these things, but, you know, people don't believe us. Oh, and I, I also, Jillian, wanted to give you a moment um, if you wanted to plug your friend's book that just the um, the novella that came out with Tor. He calls it a novelette, but it's basically a novella. It is on Tor, T-O-R dot com, and it's called The Dominion of Leviathan, and his name is Manish Malwani. You can buy it in the uh, Amazon Kindle store. It's only 99 cents if you would like to I would appreciate if you supported my friend you know you can write a review on tour.com as well and it's a really um interesting uh sci-fi novelette and um there's a lot of world building which you wouldn't expect but he does a really really fantastic job on this and I'm not just saying that because he's my friend Go ahead and read uh, The Dominion of Leviathan on tour.com. Okay, uh, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> the blurred signing That's off. That's in the street. Thanks so much for listening. Follow Blurred on the Street at Blurred Street on Twitter and Blurred on the Street on Instagram and TikTok. The blurbs are Jenna, who can be found at Philly Girl J L. That's P H I L L Y G I R L J L on Instagram and Twitter, and Philly Girl J L H P H I L L Y G I R L J L H on TikTok. Jillian, who can be found at Jillian That's J I L L I A N dot c-o-r-i-n-n-e on instagram and tiktok and lily who can be found chatting on twitter at elise on life that's a-l-i-s-e-o-n-l-i-f-e and posting creative talents on instagram at lily phl 
L-I-L-L-I-E-P-H-L. 